You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. One of my all-time favorite Christmas stories is about a little boy who was really a handful for his parents. Maybe you've heard this story before, but it's a great story. No matter what his parents tried, he continued to be self-centered, self-consumed, selfish, mean. Christmas was coming soon, so the little boy, in his usual selfish way, made his dear Santa letter. Uh, And it was 12 pages full of toys and gadgets and all of these things that that he wanted for Christmas. When his parents saw this monstrous list, they, they were outraged. The father picked the little boy up, took him into the living room, set him down in front of the nativity scene, and he told his son, he says, son, I want you to sit right here, and I want you to look at this scene until you remember what Christmas is all about. So then you must write a letter to Jesus. The little boy sat there for a while looking at the nativity scene, and up the stairs to his room, he got a piece of paper, a pencil, and he started to write this letter, Dear Jesus, if you bring me all of the toys I want, I'll be good for a whole year. He thought about that for a moment and wadded it up, knew that wasn't possible, so he started it again. Dear Jesus, if you bring me all of the toys and gadgets I want for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole week. Wasn't feeling too confident about that, so he wadded that letter up, thought for a moment, went back down the stairs to the nativity scene, looked at it briefly, picked up the figure of Mary, back up the stairs into his room, pulled out a little shoebox, put Mary in the shoebox, hid Mary in the back of the closet, another sheet of paper, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. Isn't that a great story? Well, the young man, the young boy, drew a line. What's interesting, though, is he drew a line, and it was all about what he could get. What a contrast. What a contrast to what Christmas is really all about. All that we celebrate in this Christmas season is about God drawing a line, but it was about not what he could get, but about what he could give. As I said last week, Christmas is a watershed moment. It's a, it's a defining line in which God intervened in the crisis of our world to bring a solution, to bring salvation. It's the miracle that's forever changed the course of history. When the time had fully come, what did God do? God drew a line. When the time had fully come, God revealed his plan of rescue, his, his plan of redemption. Not only was it a watershed moment at that time, going back to the miracle that happened in Bethlehem, but as a result, it's brought watershed moments for literally billions of people who have chosen to embrace the provision of Jesus Christ, to accept the salvation that he came to bring. But you see, for us today, Christmas is more than a holiday to celebrate, right? Are you with me on that? It's more than a holiday to celebrate. It's the defining moment in which God moved to bring hope for all humanity. Pastor Tim Keller said it so well when he made this statement. I put it in your notes. He says, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus and God coming in the flesh is the universe sundering, history altering, life transforming, paradigm shattering event in history. Not only, not only has it changed history, but it's changing It's changing the lives of those who choose to believe and receive what Jesus came to provide. The line that Jesus established has become a defining line in every person's life who receives his salvation. 
Well, this morning we want to continue on in this series, the line, as we look to a little story kind of tucked away into the Christmas story. Oftentimes we read about the miracle of Joseph and the miracle of Mary and what happened there in Bethlehem, and we never go a little farther in the story to read about this amazing story of an elderly man by the name of, of Simeon. It was Simeon who, we're going to discover this morning, gave testimony to the line. He was a witness to the miracle of, of God's plan of redemption. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, you don't have to turn there, but it's there that the scripture says that on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a matter be confirmed. So what do you need? You need two or three witnesses. Well, Simeon was one of the three witnesses that God used to confirm that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come to Israel in the flesh. If you recall, the shepherds were the first eyewitnesses, right? They were the first that was there. And then Simeon was the second, and Anna is the third. And what do witnesses do? Witnesses speak what they've seen or heard. And Simeon, Simeon speaks as a witness to us, not only to what God had revealed to him, but what he saw on a God-ordained, on a God-ordained day in the temple. So I want us to read how Luke records this event in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And then I want to just share with you a short video clip as to what this might have been like. Have you ever read the scripture and just kind of in your mind wondered, I wonder what that would have been like? We're going to see just a, a, a little short portrayal of what Luke 2, verse 25 through 35 might have looked like on the temple eight days after the birth of Jesus. But first, let's read this morning, beginning with verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for this promised Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at, at what was said about him, this being Joseph and Mary. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And notice the closing line. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What might have this been like on this day in the temple? Watch this video. Now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentile, and the glory of thy people Israel. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, 
Yea, a sword will pierce to thy own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So here's Simeon, a witness. A witness to the line, a witness to the miracle that God had brought, not only for Israel, but here's the good news for all of us Gentiles as well, right? Because the majority of us in the room today would be Gentiles, and so it's, it's interesting that, that as Simeon speaks of his promise being fulfilled, it's not only to the Jews, it's not only to the nation of Israel, but it's for us Gentiles as well. Now, we don't know much about Simeon, really no, no more than what the scripture reveals for us. He, the scripture says he was a righteous and a devout man, so obviously he tried to live his life to honor God. Tradition would say that he was about 113 years of age. Now, scripture doesn't confirm that, that's just tradition, but what we would know is he's in a, he's in a latter season of his life. And God had revealed to him that he would see the Christ, the promised Messiah, before he had died. So, so he has been waiting for this defining moment, and it happened on the eighth day. The eighth day after the birth of Jesus. So at this point, I think Mary and Joseph are trying to figure out like, what it's like being parents. I mean, if, if you can think back to that first child that was born, think about what it was like for you. I mean, think about... Uh, for all the men in the house, think about what it was like when you changed the first diaper. I don't know about you, but I was challenged. I put it on backwards. But I, it was all new to me. Or, or, or how about this? How many of you know, when children are born, they don't come into the world like with a normal sleeping pattern. Uh, they go to bed at 8 and they wake up at 6 the next morning and sleep through the night. I mean, that doesn't happen, right? It was interesting. I was talking with a dad the other day. They're blessed with a newborn. And he was saying, oh, yeah, he's, her son's sleeping all the way through the night. And, and the wife was there, and she says, yeah, he sleeps for about two hours at a time. So obviously the husband was, like, unaware of the sleeping patterns. I, I think Joseph and Mary, because they were like us, now, oftentimes in our mind, we, we, we kind of elevate Mary and Joseph. They were just a, a young couple who were trying to figure out this parenting thing. Like, are we doing it right? Like, what does this, what, what does this, what does this look like? How do, we, how do we care for this one that we've been blessed with? So I think they're in this season of trying to figure out what it's like, what it's like to be parents. And, and according to the law, as we come to this story here in Luke 2, Joseph and Mary are fulfilling the requirement of the law in relation to giving birth. They took Jesus to the temple eight days after his birth to fulfill at least two requirements. The first would have been the rite of circumcision. The law defined that every male baby would be presented to the priest for circumcision as a sign of the covenant relationship, which actually predates the law. It goes all the way back to the covenant that God established with Abraham and that through Abraham's offspring, being the coming of the Messiah, there would be salvation. So pointing all the way back to that, there was the rite of circumcision. There was the cutting away of the flesh. You know, I've only been part of one rite of circumcision ceremony. 
There was a family at Grace who had been blessed with, with obviously, a, a young boy. On the eighth day, they said, Pastor, we would like for you to come and preside over the rite of circumcision. And I'm thinking, they didn't train me to do that in seminary. <laughs> and they said, we'll help you out. You know, here, here's, here's the scriptures that you're supposed to read. Here's the statements that you're supposed to say. Now, I've never been a part of anything like this before. And certainly, I don't, I don't remember what happened to me earlier in the days of my life. That that time has already passed. So here I am at the hospital, and I'm presiding over this rite of circumcision. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most miserable ministry experiences I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Not only was it bad for the little boy, it was bad for the preacher. I thought I was going to pass out. And I thought, Lord, if you get me through this, I'll never do this again. I would not make a good priest. I would resign. Rite of circumcision is not for me. It was a part of... Mary and Joseph fulfilling the requirements of the law for this Jewish young boy, for Jesus. So they, they took him to the temple, not only to fulfill the rite of circumcision, but it was, there was also the process of the redemption of the firstborn. According to the law, all Jewish people were required to bring a redemption offering to redeem their, their firstborn. Now, God had established this process of worship to remind the Jewish people of his rescue, bringing them out of Egypt, that place of bondage, taking them to the promised land. So there was this process of the redeeming of the first one. So when Joseph and Mary came to the temple, they would have either brought with them five shekels or two doves, because that was the requirement. It was the process of redeeming their son. And as Joseph and Mary arrive at the temple, they have an encounter with this man called Simeon. Now, at first, it would appear maybe to be an accidental encounter. I mean, you know, you have those all the time. Have them at Walmart, you have them at the park, an accidental encounter. That's what it appeared to be. But as Simeon began to speak about Jesus, it became evident that this was more than an accidental encounter. It was a God-ordained moment about the line, about the line that God had drawn as he sent his son Because the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that that he would see with his own eyes the promised Messiah. He was waiting in expectation. When he he saw Joseph and Mary uh, approach the temple, he knew that the moment that he had been waiting for had come. And Simeon began to speak about this, God's promise being fulfilled. My eyes have seen, my eyes behold, this God of your promise coming to fruition. That he would bring salvation not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. He acknowledged that, that God drew a line that would forever change history. In this watershed moment, salvation had come. As we look into this defining moment, not only for Joseph and Mary, but for all of us, what, what can we learn this morning? I want to just kind of talk you through this story, because I think there's some valuable lessons for us as Simeon gave witness to the line the promise being fulfilled. I think the first thing we we see in this story is that God is active in the waiting season of our lives. He's active. He's not passive. He's active. And we don't know. The story doesn't reveal. We don't know how long Simeon's been waiting. Maybe it was a year. Maybe it was five years. Maybe it was ten years. Maybe it was longer. But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see, that he would hold the Messiah, that he would see the, the promise being filled. So, I mean, imagine having that kind of information. Like every day he was wondering, is this the day, right? 
Every day there was this excitement, there was this expectation. Could today be the day that I see the promise fulfilled, that I see the Messiah? For Simeon, he was in this waiting period. But as he's waiting, God was working. That's what I want you to see in this story. God was active in bringing the promise to fruition. You know, this is what I know today about all of us in the room is no one likes waiting. Is there anyone in the room today that likes waiting? None of us like waiting. But we do a lot of it. Like we have waiting rooms and waiting lines. We wait to be seated. We wait on the phone to speak to an operator. Sometimes it seems like all we do is wait. Like we rush through life so we can wait, right? Our lives are just full of this waiting. A study recently revealed that on an average, we spend six months sitting at stoplights, waiting. Over five years waiting in line. Like No one likes waiting, but it's a part of life. But what you have to know is that God is not passive in the waiting seasons of your life. He's active. He's working in the waiting season. Maybe you're, maybe you're waiting for the right person to marry. Been praying. You've been waiting. You've been maybe trying to make things happen a little bit. I know none of you would probably be guilty of that, but maybe. But you've been waiting and you've been wondering, God, when will that right man, when will that right woman come? Maybe you've been a bit frustrated. Can I tell you that God's working in your waiting season? Maybe you've been waiting on that promotion. You've been working hard. You've been showing up. You've been going above and beyond. And you're wondering, when will it ever happen? Like, how long do I have to wait? How long do I have to be stuck in the waiting room of life? Can I tell you, friend, that God's active in your waiting? Maybe there's a prayer that you've been praying For seven years, or ten years, or twelve years, or twenty years. And you're wondering, God, when are you going to answer this prayer? When will my son turn back to you? When will my daughter turn back to you? God, how long? How long do do I have to wait. And I would, again, I would just want you to know today that just as God was working in Simeon's waiting, so he's working in your waiting. So as you're in that season, season of waiting, here's how you want to wait. If you would say this morning, I feel like I'm in the waiting room. I feel like I'm stuck in a time delay of life. Can, can I tell you, here's how you want to wait. First, you want to wait with confidence. Wait with confidence. And the confidence comes in knowing that God is good and he's working for our good. Get this, even in the waiting. Even in the waiting. Some of you, probably a lot of you know the story of, for Charlotte and I, of our waiting and that we were 15 years into marriage and were unable to conceive. And I'm telling you, God and I had some conversations about the issue. Like, God, when? Like, we've given our lives to follow you. When? And what we didn't know in all of that is God was working in our waiting. And he had two kids for us to adopt so that we could be a part of their story. 
And it's so much better than anything I could have ever planned on my own. Like God working. So, so first, I encourage you, if you're in the waiting room, wait with, with confidence. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, that includes the waiting time, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So we wait with confidence. Why? Because we know that God is active in the waiting season of our lives. Not only do we want to wait with confidence, but secondly, I, I would encourage you to wait with worship. Keep looking up. Keep your focus on God. Commit to declaring the greatness of God in the midst of your waiting. Listen, friend, here's what I know about humanity, because I've had the experience in my own life. In the waiting time, you can whine or you can worship. It's your choice. What I've come to discover is that when I choose to worship in the waiting, it opens the way for God to work. When I choose to worship in the waiting, there's, there's a transformation that happens in my So when I choose to worship in the waiting, God is honored in the process. Now, as you're in that place of waiting, I would encourage you to worship. You also want to, here's the third thing, you want to wait with expectation. And God may not act exactly when you want him to act or even how you wanted him to act, but when he does act, when he does move on your your behalf, it'll be for your good. What we can be confident of is that God sees, God knows, and God is working for our good. As we are stuck in the time delays of life, when we're in the waiting room, so to speak, listen, know that God is active. Listen, he's not forgotten you. Some of you need to hear that word this morning. Even as I was putting this message together, when I wrote those words, God's not forgotten you, I felt a prophetic moment. That there's people here this morning, and you've been in the waiting room for a while, and you think... You think God's forgotten you, or the enemy's deceived you to believe that God no longer cares about where you're at. But hear me, friend, this morning. He sees you, he knows you, and he's working for your good. He's not forgotten you. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, in the waiting, in the waiting periods of it, that's what we see in Simeon's story. In the waiting period, God was active and he was working. And I would say the same is true for you. Don't lose heart. Hold on to the promise. Here's a second truth we can pick up from Simeon's encounter. Is that Jesus would define a line that would cause the rising and falling of many people. Rising and falling. In Luke 2.34, Simeon said these words to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And will be a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus would cause the rising and falling of many people because the line he established calls every person to a decision. Either you will accept Jesus or you will reject Jesus. There's a defining line. The line calls every person to choose whether they will follow Jesus or whether they will not follow Jesus. And to accept Jesus' provision of salvation means that we rise, right, as we discover the abundant life he offers, the promise of eternal life. To reject Jesus' provision of salvation means that individuals fall and that they miss the life Jesus offers. 
and will experience eternal death, eternal separation from God. As God's promise was fulfilled through the sending of His Son to be our Savior, a line's been drawn that calls people to a decision. And here's my question for you today. Will you rise or will you fall? Will you receive or reject Jesus? Will you step over the line? See, that decision will not only shape your here and now, but it will shape your eternity. See, Jesus didn't come just so we could have another holiday to celebrate. And Jesus came to draw a line. Jesus came to bring salvation for mankind. And that salvation would cause the rising and falling of many. Because there would be some who would accept and there's some who would reject. And that's the reality. But today we are faced with that decision. Will we accept or will we reject? Will we step over the line? See, here's the good news for us today. It was the miracle of the incarnation that made way for the price to be paid for our sin at Calvary. You know, the scripture doesn't reveal this, so I'm reading a little bit into the story. Just as, as I see this playing out in the temple, I, I have to believe that Joseph and Mary are pretty excited about this encounter. I mean, they're going about, I mean, think about this. They're just going about their normal activities. I mean, this is the normal thing that a young Jewish couple would do on the eighth day, just an ordinary day. They're taking Jesus to the temple to fulfill the requirements of the law. And all of a sudden, an ordinary day turns into a holy day. An ordinary day in the midst of just kind of the normal routine, there's this encounter that happens. Simeon begins to speak of salvation. He begins to speak of a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. He speaks of the destiny of this child. This had to be like this amazing moment as Joseph and Mary, like they're, I, I think they would be like trying to take all of this in. I mean, think about it. Try to put yourself in their shoes. If this encounter happened to you as young parents, and, and there's this man who comes and he begins to speak, speak this prophetic statement, these prophetic words over your child and his destiny, and over your life, even as parents, like, like you would be trying to take all of that in. You're like, oh, hold on just a moment. You know, let me get this on a recorder, right? Like you would want to... He would want to hold on to those words. And then Simeon. And Simeon says something to Mary that, that she could not have fully comprehended. She's caught up in the excitement of, of being a new mother and she's captivated by all that Simeon has said about her son up to this point. But then Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a sobering statement. And Mary, a sword, will pierce your own soul. Now this is an obvious reference to the future pain that Mary would experience as she watched her son be crucified. This one she had carried for nine months. It's one she had nurtured and loved and cared for. Would face a sinner's death. Death by crucifixion. 
And Mary, his mother, would be a witness to that. I don't know what that does for you, but that stirs all kinds of emotions within me. Can you imagine, especially for all the ladies in the house today, can you imagine what this would have been like for Mary? To see her son, the one that she birthed, hanging on a cross. John's gospel, as he recorded the crucifixion, he wrote these words in John 19.25, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Watching this whole thing play out. And I wonder, I wonder if Mary recalled the words of Simeon when Jesus was eight days old, presented in the temple. She said, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. This one who was miraculously conceived, was born to die, that we might live. It's the cradle in Bethlehem that made way for the cross at Calvary. See, Jesus came to draw a line that would bring salvation for mankind, but that salvation required his death so that your sin and my sin might be paid for. There was the redemption price that Christ paid. The Apostle Paul captures this truth in in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Listen to how the scripture reads. You see, at just the right time, interesting, at just the right time, what the line was drawn. Remember last week, we, we looked at Galatians 4. This says, when the time had fully come, just at the right time. Notice, when we were still powerless, that's talking about all of us. Well, you didn't have a chance. I didn't have a chance. We were messed up and we didn't have a solution. That was the reality. It was into your situation in mind that that God did what? He drew a line. He established a line. Notice it goes on to say, Christ died for the ungodly. It's not like we were all good and godly and we had it all together. No. We got issues. We're the ungodly. What did Christ do? He died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. And what we celebrate at Christmas is all about God's love being revealed as he sent his son Again, Jesus was miraculously born. He lived a sinless life. He endured a painful death on the cross and was raised on the third day so that the price could be paid for our sin. The line that was drawn was for for the salvation of mankind. The line that was drawn was so that we could be at peace with God and we could live with the peace of God. Amazing. In Simeon's statement, To Joseph and Mary in Luke 2.29, this is what he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He said, miss your servant in peace. For Simeon, he he had seen God's promise fulfilled. He had held the Messiah in his arms and he had blessed him. He had encountered God's salvation. Now he could depart in peace. But can you? 
Yeah, I think that's the question we all have to wrestle with. It's my belief that that you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. You're only able to depart in peace if you've stepped over the line to receive the salvation Jesus provides. And, And you're not ready... You're not ready to die until you've made that decision. You can't depart in peace without that. And what I'm confident of this morning is you will depart. Right? Like no one lives forever. We all have termination date. Life's going to end. Your heart's going to stop beating. That's going to be... The end of your time on this earth. Not the end of you, because you were created to last forever. Remember, you're a a spiritual being having a temporary physical experience. Right? Simeon says, "I, I can depart in peace. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the promise fulfilled. I've embraced, I've held the salvation of the Lord in my hands. My question to you is, can you say confidently today that you can depart in peace? And the answer to that question hinges on what you do with Jesus Christ and how you respond to His offer of salvation. Ephesians 2.14 says this, that Jesus Himself is our peace. He's our peace and He brings peace as we receive His gift, the gift of salvation. Interesting. Late last evening, I called one of our Grace Covenant family members who traveled from here to the state of Iowa. That's where her dad's in the hospital. He's in his 80s in the hospital, and it's not looking good. It's one of those horrible situations where family can't go in, so he's alone in the midst of what would appear to be the last days, maybe last hours of his life. And so I called this family just to pray with them and to try to encourage them. And interesting, this is what the lady said to me. She says, my, my dad can depart in peace because he knows Jesus. What hope there is in that. And then earlier this week, Pastor Paul was making hospital visits and there's a gentleman that he went to see who doesn't worship here but we had an opportunity to go and pay a visit he's in his 80s never much of a man to go to church believed in God believed that there is a God but here's the question had he received Christ so I, I just Paul and I had a conversation I said hey, Paul when you go to see this gentleman I said, make sure you talk with him about Jesus because I I don't know if he stepped over the line. So as Pastor Paul made the visit this week and shared with this gentleman what Christmas is all about, he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Now, I don't know if he's going to have another 10 years on this earth. Maybe so, maybe not. But this is what I do know. When that day comes, whenever that day comes, he can depart in peace. Why? It's well with his soul. Well, because he received the provision of Christmas. He received the Christ of of Christmas. Like Simeon, he could say, I I can depart in peace. Because it's, again, well with my soul. In Romans 10, 
verse 9 says that if we, be, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Not complicated, not difficult. Like if I wanted to give you a Christmas gift, I have the gift, you hold out your hands, I pass you the gift. Not complicated, not difficult, right? I have the gift, I pass it to you. The same way, the way of salvation is not difficult, it's not hard. Christ has done the work, we simply embrace his provision. So that we can say like Simeon, whenever that day comes, I can depart in peace. Would you pray with me, Lord, I thank you this morning for the wonder of this season. That you drew a line. You sent your son. You so loved the world that you sent your son to pay the price for our sin. To bring rescue for our lives. To bring your peace. For that we're grateful. With every head bowed and eye closed for those watching online simple question for you this morning can you confidently say if my heart was to stop beating today I could depart in peace I could leave this this temporary world knowing it's well with my soul as I said earlier the answer to that question hinges on what you do with Jesus Christ I never want to assume That everyone's good with God. And possibly, again, if you're watching online, if you're here today in this building, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, then can I tell you, it's not, it's not well with your soul, and you can't depart in peace. But today, today you can change that. Today you can step over the line. Today you can receive Christ's salvation. Is there anyone who would just say, Hey, Pastor, that's me today. Today I need to make that decision. Today I want to step over the line. If you're watching online, all you need to do is just say, Hey, I want to step over the line. Someone will reach, someone will reach out to you right after the service. But here in the building, the balcony on the main floor, is there anyone who would say, I'm not certain I can depart in peace. I want to make certain today. Let me ask one other question while every head's bowed. I talked about being in the waiting room. That God is active in the waiting seasons of our lives. If you're here today and you're in a time delay, you feel like you've been stuck in the waiting room, for a while I just want to pray for you this morning that you would not grow weary in the waiting but that you would be able to wait in confidence and worship and expectation of the good things that God's working in your life and for your life anyone here just say hey I'm in the waiting room and I just want you to pray with me it's not always a fun place to be Lord I pray for a lot of folks today Lord, who feel like they're in a time delay, stuck in a waiting room. God, what I know is that you're good. 
and that you're working for their good. God, that you see and you know. And so, Lord, I just pray as they're in that waiting place, God, may they know that you are active and working even if they can't see it with their physical eyes. Lord, may they wait in confidence. May they wait in expectation. May they wait in worship. And Lord, just as you showed up in your time for Simeon, that he would see the promise fulfilled, Lord, so I believe they're going to see your promise revealed in their lives. But Lord, in this time period, may they not lose hope. Lord, may they know that they're not forgotten, but you're present in that waiting. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.